powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hi. Thank you so much. Thank you. Please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. This episode is brought to you today by the fine folks at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. All right, so before we jump into this episode, let's give a huge thank you to my last guests, David Borgenicht and Josh Piven. What a great episode and so much fun to record. The feedback to the episode was incredible, and if you've not heard our incredible interview, I strongly encourage you to check it out after the conclusion of this episode. So up in episode 161, we have a truly amazing episode lined up for you today. We have on the show 90s Canadian rock band Crash Test Dummies. That's right. Frontman Brad Roberts stops by to talk about the genesis of the band, the highs and lows of success, their global mega hit, mm, 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 mm. Weird Al Yankovic, so much more. Believe me, this is a truly fantastic interview and no stone is left unturned. So Duval Nation, please rise to your feet. I welcome to the show calling in today from his home in Manhattan, New York, the front man and creative mind behind the Crash Test Dummies, Mr. Brad Roberts. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. How is the weather out by you today? The weather, you know, I'm embarrassed to say I haven't gone outside yet today, but I can tell you from my phone, how obnoxious <laughs> is that, that it's 41 degrees here, mostly sunny. So I start my interviews off the same way. That is, how has it been for you as a group to navigate the COVID-19 world? Well, you know, it kind of just put the brakes on for us. We had just started going back on the road for the first time in many years, and we'd been out there for about eight months, and then COVID hit. So we put the brakes on for, it feels like a couple of years. And then concerts were allowed again, illegal again. So we uh, hit the road, and we tried to make up for a bunch of shows that we missed because of course covid you know wiped out a lot of them but we didn't get into every single market that that we had uh, formerly been slotted in so that that was kind of disappointing to be honest with you but other than that you know it seems like the worst of it's over and we're just happy to be out there again awesome so every journey has a beginning where were you born what was it like to grow up there I was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Hmm. What was it like to grow up there? Well, it was cold. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, with that kind of cold, you 
you either uh, get good at hockey or if you're like me and you can't play hockey because you're an athletic failure, <laughs> then uh, you join a band. <laughs> and that's what you do all winter instead of slaving outside on the cold ice. That's That was my choice anyways. So I... I played in, you know, what we called garage bands back then. Then I I got seduced into going to university, and I ended up taking English literature and philosophy, something I never thought I would do, and it turned out to be the perfect education to be a songwriter. So where I grew up ended up serving me well. Fair I haven't enough. lived there for a long time, but but there you go. Fair enough. What age did you decide you actually wanted to get involved in playing music? Was it a very early age or was it later on in adolescence? Well, I was fascinated by music for by a very young age. I know it sounds sentimental, but my mom used to sing lullabies to me and my brother or my brother and I. No, it's me and my brother to my brother and me. <laughs> um, anyways, he, she used to sing us these songs at night to help us sleep. And she had an absolutely stunning, right-on-the-money voice. I mean, her her range and her pitch were just phenomenal, and she was totally untrained. And then um, when I was, I guess, in elementary school, I started buying these records called KTEL records. I don't. You're probably not old enough to remember KTEL records. No, that's a little before my time. They were. They were out in the 1970s. They were, believe it or not, they were made in Winnipeg, Manitoba, but they were sold all over Canada and the United States, and they they packed what they called 22 greatest hits, 22 greatest stars onto their records. They By, by doing these edits, they would take out the guitar solo, or they would fade the last chorus in the song really fast, or they would you know, chop out the intro or do something to it, but still keep its lyrics intact most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was buying those and listening to them obsessively. And I don't know that I had a notion that I was going to be a musician at that point, but I did know that I was very drawn to it. And um, I was taking piano lessons when I was around eight years old, but my teacher was miserable. <laughs> so, so I asked to quit, but I wanted to take um, guitar instead. And my parents allowed me to do that. And that was when I was about 13. And that's really when I knew for sure, okay, this is what I want to do. So talk about the genesis of the band, you know, what inspired Br bad Brad Roberts and the St. James Rhythm Pigs to morph into Crash Test Dummies? Well, of course, I cringe when you use that old phrase because I didn't make that. I, I had no no uh, involvement in making a, that name up. That was uh, the brainchild of our drummer, who I later fired. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, God bless him. He was just trying to come up with something to put in the paper that night. What What happened was this: my my next door neighbor, since I was a kid, opened up a late night cafe. And they served beer and teapots at three in the morning. And, you know, it was a funky place where, and they had an open stage and anyone could play on it. And so I suggested to 
my friend who had opened it that we be the house band. He played the drums and we'd get a bass player. I'd play guitar and sing. So we, we became the house band for this little after hours club called the Blue Note Cafe owned by Curtis Riddell. When I was going to university every weekend, we would play there. And our set list was initially just a bunch of cover tunes and wacky cover tunes, like everything from TV theme songs to uh, folk songs to, you know, Alice Cooper to just crazy all over the map. Just kind of a fun project thing. And then um, when I graduated from university, I, I saw a couple of acts and, I thought, you know, I think I could do this. I I think I could be as good as the people that I'm watching on stage if I if I put my mind to songwriting. So I switched gears entirely and I went from just doing these cover tunes to bringing the band songs that I'd written and recorded on my little four track real to real thing that I had back way back then before there were anything like uh, digital home recording studios. Hmm. And that is how um, I made the transition from Brad, Brad Roberts and the St. James Rhythm Pigs to Crash Test Dummies. Hmm. How it much became, was... it became Crash Test Dummies when I started writing original material. Hmm. How much of a struggle was it in the beginning to get established and signed with a label? Um, well, we got very fortunate. I sent out a demo tape of some songs that I'd written. And I was a bartender at the time. And I made enough tip and tip money to make a demo. So I sent this off to various festivals and I got some feedback from this guy that was in, incredibly positive and he was a he was a player in the canadian music industry and uh, it just so happened that that year the uh canadian music industry was having its annual um meeting as it were uh in winnipeg where we were from and so we had the opportunity to play for all of these record companies all at once. There was like, you know, five of them or more. And because this guy that I'd sent the demo to was so enthusiastic about it, he he seeded the idea into everybody's mind. You've got to see this band crash test on me. So when, the, when their meeting happened or their music business conference happened and we played at it, um, everybody went out to see us and us in particular. And um, after that, there was a practical label war for us. There, there was three interested parties and they were all trying to get me to sign. Hmm. What are your favorite memories from creating that first album, the ghosts that haunt me, which is a great title, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. You know, making that record. Well, we had a, great producer his name's steve berlin he was a, a member of the band los lobos and uh great guy made the whole process as smooth as it could be but i have to tell you 
we had a very low budget and we were recording in Winnipeg, Manitoba and the recording studios there at that time were pretty lousy and we were in an absolutely terrible recording studio. <laughs> like it, it was just so subpar. It was unbelievable. And, um, part of the reason that record, although it was very, very successful in Canada, it went like four times platinum. Part of the reason that I'm, I don't love that record today is because it was so low budget and it was recorded under such inauspicious circumstances. Well, not inauspicious, just inefficient. <laughs> <laughs> so that single, the lead single off that album, you know, Superman's song, did gangbusters numbers. Where did the idea come from to write that song? You know, it's a funny thing. I remember hearing a song that was a rap song when I was working at... Uh, this place called the Spectrum Cabaret in Winnipeg. I was a bartender after I went to university there. And I heard this rap song over the speakers one night, and I don't know who it was, but the lyric was, Tarzan was a white man. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just thought, I got to write a song about Tarzan, because they kind of left it at that. And then it turned out that um, I needed a foil for Tarzan and that became Superman. And then Superman took over the song. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's largely based on the philosophy studies that I did in university. The, the idea of Superman in that song is someone who you know, it's not about the money, and he does it for its own sake. He shows up and he gets the job done, and and it's not necessarily rewarding because he has to live in anonymity. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I I just thought that if I was to coach a narrative like that using a comic book character, and you know, characters from popular culture that it would be easier to do without sounding sentimental. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, Duval Nation, as a special treat and with permission from the band and the label, here is Superman's song. Tarzan wasn't a ladies' man He'd just come along and scoop him up under his arm like that Quick as a cat in the jungle But Clark Kent, now there was a real gent he would not be caught sitting around in no jungle scheme Dumb as an ape doing nothing Superman never made any money Saving the world from Solomon Grundy 
himself to carry on forget Krypton and keep going Superman never made any money to save the world from Solomon Grundy and sometimes I despair the world will never see another man Like him Tarzan was king of the jungle And lord over all the apes But he could hardly string together Four words I, Tarzan, you, Jane Sometimes when soup was stopping crimes I'll bet that he was tempted to just quit and turn his back on man Join Tarzan in the forest But he stayed in the city Kept on changing clothes and dirty old phone boots Till his work was through And nothing to do but go on home Superman never made any money Saving the world from Sometimes I despair the world will never see another man like him. Sometimes I despair the world will never see another man like him. So when we told people you're going to be coming on the show, fans wrote in questions to ask you and one of them was attributed to this song and that is the music video did you ever get any pushback from dc or anything like that for using the characters or anything like that no as a matter of fact they were delighted that we'd written a song about superman and they sent us every issue of every comic (laughs) you can imagine like great big boxes of collector's edition stuff Mm -hmm. And they even put a frame in one of their comics with a character who had a T-shirt that said Crash Test Dummies on it to honor us. Oh, wow. 
So we hadn't broken any laws or rules. I mean, it might be different now with the way the franchises have gone, but uh, I don't think we did anything illegal. That's the thing. We wrote a song about a character. The video is great. Oh, thanks. That's um, I can't really take any credit for that. That was written by Ellen Reed, our keyboard player, who wrote most of our early videos. Mm. So when I say um four times, what emotions <laughs> does it elicit for you? <laughs> well, a certain amount of joy, because after all, that's why I'm here. It was an internationally huge success. And it made it possible for me to have a career in my dotage. <laughs> <laughs> did you have any idea the song would go supersonic like it did? No. I mean, anybody who says, I knew my song was going to be that huge is a liar. Because nobody knows. Especially if you've never had one. You know? And it's out of the blue. That's just, what do they call that? Monday morning quarterbacking? Pretty much. I think, anyways. <laughs> My question to you, though, is this is, you know, at what point did you guys wake up and say this? We've got something really special here. This song has really become something, a force of nature. Well, you know, what happened was this. Uh, it's kind of an interesting story. In Canada, we had had this enormous success on our first record, but really no, no enormous success by any means in America. And um, so... In Canada, when our second record came out, it was our sophomore effort. It was very much seen that way. And Canada has this habit of eating its own. So we did well, and then they turned around and they proceeded to sabotage us. And I know that sounds paranoid, but like literally the first article that got printed to review our album was in our hometown newspaper. And then our hometown newspaper trolled the press, what do they call it? The press service or the AP or whatever? Yeah, Associated Press, yeah. Yeah, Associated Press. And they just found where they could a negative review of the record. I don't. I was shocked they found a review of an American reviewing the thing at all. But they did, and they gave it a terrible review. And it was, it was a silly review, honestly, because the record ended up selling millions and millions of copies and 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 it was a much better record than our first record. Our first record was done, like I said earlier, under you know the circumstances of not much money, not much time, and in a crappy studio. And our second record, we we took our time about it, and we all had learned from the first record, and so it was bound to be a better record. Mm. It was just different, and he didn't like the fact that we'd changed directions. So uh, from from then, the uh, rest of Canada kind of fell into place, and we couldn't get any airplay for mm -mm -mm. Uh, Nobody wanted to, anything to do with it in Canada. And the song was over. It went to number 14 and then went back down the charts within like two weeks. And for all intents and purposes, our album had come to an end, and that's where our career would have come to an end. But in America... Down in Atlanta, there was a radio station playing us, and they were taking a chance on us. They were an open-minded radio station. We're a new act. And not only were they getting uh, uh, a lot of calls, 
in saying, you know, what's that song? Who's that guy's voice? Who is he? What is that? A lot of calls. And, and then, and this is crucial, sales followed in that market in Atlanta, Georgia. People went out to the stores and they bought what they heard. And that doesn't always translate. Sometimes people don't go buy what they hear. And th we're talking now about the 1990s, so it was a completely right. different market and approach. So when that happened, that is when, to answer your question, we realized that we had something special on our hands. Mm -hmm. And the record company turned around and said, okay, this is our cue to plug them into the machine. And all of a sudden... At every show, the record company was there, and they were helping out, and they were getting us interviews, and they, you know, they made an effort in a way they hadn't made on the first record, because there was opportunity that hadn't existed on the first record, mm. and um, from there it just took off. You know, it's funny. You know, in a predominantly grunge era. You know, that single would be certified gold. And how important was it for folk rock to briefly take that spotlight? Well, um, you know, grunge opened a lot of doors for music that wasn't necessarily grunge, but that was off the beaten path. Because it was an era when people were opening their ears up to the, the alternative to the mainstream. And that included us. We were outside the mainstream. There, were, there wasn't much going on that sounded like that record. So that was extremely fortunate. I mean, I don't know what, how else to describe it. I, just the fact that it, it had that kind of resonance and 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 spread across the country and and then later to europe too mm -hmm. we got famous all over europe okay deval nation we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with brad roberts of the crash test dummies may i suggest you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths you know that's right <laughs> cluzo style out with the bad air in with the good out with the bad air in with the good Please give your attention to a few friends of my show, and we will be right back. Hi, I'm Dietrich. I'm Alex. And I'm Ben. We're from the podcast That Song From That Movie, the journey through the very best and worst of movie songs. We want you to join us on our voyage across the cinematic sound waves as we take a deep dive on a new song and movie each week to figure out just what makes them tick. Already we've set sail with Celine Dion on the Titanic, found a friend in Toy Story, and gotten drenched out in the rain with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Hopefully each breakdown allows us to answer the ultimate question of what's better, the movie or the song. Or at least learn something new along the way. Just like learning that Toy Story 4 is a meaningless cash grab without a soul. You can subscribe right now on all good podcast platforms. If you use one of the bad ones, then that's on you, and we can't be held responsible. Subscribe to that song from that movie. Hello, Duval Nation. Derek Duval here. Mental health is not only a top priority in my life, but it should be in yours too. As a combat military veteran, I have seen what untreated mental health looks like, which is why I've been using a therapist for well over a decade. 
Seeing a trusted therapist has helped me reconcile life events and other important things I've been witness to since returning home from the service and has changed my life for the better in many ways. Which is why going forward I am pleased to announce that BetterHelp will be sponsoring The Derek Duvall Show. BetterHelp is the world's first therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you can expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling flexibility and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. Hey, this is Patrick Baker, and you are listening to The Derek Duvall Show. Check out my new single, available on all major streaming platforms, and visit my site at patrickbakermusic.com. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts! Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy, it is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. Hi, this is Glenn. And this is Sonia from Echo Valley. And you are listening to The Derek Duval Show. Here's a song called Faces in the Mirror from our album Anarchy and Alchemy. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. 
Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podcasticaudio.com slash easy. This is Benjamin Sledge, author of Where Cowards Go to Die. In my award-winning memoir, you'll discover the raw humanity, intricate complexity, and brutal barbarity of those who served in the Iraq and Afghan wars, and the psychological toll it took on modern veterans. You can purchase Where Cowards Go to Die on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere major books are sold. Look for me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Benjamin C. Sledge. We're Sam's Army and the gang's all here. Sam's Army and the gang's all here. Sam's Army and the gang's all here. For glory, the cup and then the drinks up beer. Oi, this is Chad from The Shame. We're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can find our stuff at theshameshop.com or listen to it on almost all the streaming services. We'll see you down the pub. Cheers. everyone. This is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, a veteran's journey from homeless to hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 161 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with Brad Roberts of the Crash Test Dummies. You know, what does a call from Weird Al look like? Oh, you know, Weird Al is just the loveliest guy. You know, most people don't understand this, but you don't have to really get anybody's permission to cover a song. Like if I want to cover a song by Michael Jackson, I'll just go record it and I'll do it. And there's nothing illegal about it um, because all you have to do is pony up to the bar and pay him the royalties you own. That's how the law works. And yet our good friend, the accordion player, approaches bands and says, you know, I'm Weird Al Yankovic. I want to cover your song. Are you okay with that? And then he strikes a deal with you. And the deal he strikes is this, that he'll rewrite the lyrics. He'll use your music and will split the uh, royalties 50-50. And that's a great deal because Weird Al Yankovic sells a lot of records, right? And he actually used... mm -mm, as his first single. Uh, that was like a milestone in our career when we were out, Yankovich covered our song. Is it kind of like a badge of honor, I guess, in the music community for Weird Al to cover a song? In my books, it is. Hmm. Moving on, you know, how does it feel to get a Grammy nomination? I, you are the first guest I've had. I've had many, many musicians on my show, some, some going back as far as the 70s and 80s, but you're the first one I've had on the show that had a Grammy nomination. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, you know... Uh, I was honored, of course, to have a Grammy nomination. I mean, to be honest, what 
what those nominations really are all about is how popular your record was that year. How much money did you make for record labels? <laughs> and of course, you make some money when you when you start to sell a million records. That's when you start to make money, or that's what, how it worked back then. What because of the inequities of the way the business is structured. Having said that, I won't look a gift horse in the mouth. I'll be very happy to take that Nami Grammy nomination. That Grammy nomination, thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, I only wish that it hadn't turned into that. It, I only wish that it had turned into a Grammy. <laughs> but I didn't. To be honest with you, I didn't expect to win. I figured that with who we were up against, and I I can't even remember now who it was, that that we wouldn't win, and I and I was right. <laughs> what do you remember about being asked to contribute to the film and soundtrack for Dumb and Dumber? Well, that was an interesting story too. Um, I've always been a big fan of the band XTC, and um, great great band. Yeah, aren't they? Mm -hmm. anyways um crash systems want i wanted us to do a cover song for our shows in which our backup vocalist alan sang lead this was my desire because i just thought it would help change up the show switch up the you know front person and um so we learned that song and we started playing at our shows and then along come the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack people, and they're like, we want you to record that. And I'm thinking, it's already been recorded. XTC did a great job. Why aren't you just taking that? Like, it's not like it was a hit already or something. They right. took mm -mm -mm on the into the same soundtrack um, because it was a hit. But this other one was just us recording a song for the movie specifically. And then it turned into a hit. And um, that was bizarre. Like, we we never expected that at all. Mm. It never even appeared on our, our God Shovel His Feet record. It appeared on the uh, the movie compilation. Mm. So moving on from and as you know, how much pressure was on you as a band to capture that global success again? Well, enormous pressure, of course. And they start looking at you pretty hard when you're you're writing for an, another success. As far as me personally, though, I felt like I could handle the task that I had done it before. That I would just get better at it, and that um, and I went in there with a very open mind and an open heart. Mm. So. As with most bands, you know, between hiatuses and a desire to preserve, you know, solo work and so forth, why do you think Crash Test Dummies continues to exist when other bands in similar situations just completely fold? Well, we did have a few years there where I just couldn't afford to make records anymore, right at the beginning of Napster there. And from then on, it was, it was very difficult to make music. Of course, now streaming pays some, at, at least, and uh, one is recompensed. You've been touring in celebration of 30 years since The Ghosts That Haunt Me. What do you enjoy most about playing live? You know, I 
enjoy playing live a great deal. I never used to. I used to uh, see it as a necessary evil. <laughs> Something that you did between making records, because that to me was the creative part and the fun part. Um, but uh, now that I'm older, I appreciate it a lot more. I'm under a lot less pressure too. Like back in those days, I was constantly doing press. I had very little sleep. I had very little time on my to myself. I was constantly working. I'm not complaining. Like they, they really did plug us into the machine, and unfortunately, that means the lead singer has to do most of the, the press. Right. So. Um, it was harder to enjoy the live shows because I was so exhausted by the time we got to doing them, mm. you know, and it was in the context of this really demanding lifestyle. Whereas now I'm back on the road and I'm more on my own terms. Mm. And as a result, it's just much more fruitful. In all your years being on the road, what is the most famous venue you've ever performed at? Do you know? Oh, I guess one of them would have to be Red Rock. Do you know about Red Rock? I do know Red Rock. In uh, Colorado. Colorado, yes. That's a beautiful venue. Um, we also opened for a band when we, at um, Madison Square Gardens, but we didn't headline, so it's not technically really our show. Hmm. We opened for Brian Adams. Ah, <laughs> another, another great canadian <laughs> indeed yeah so i do want to ask you one question and i ask all the musicians who come on this show the same question and is and you mentioned napster earlier is you know what are your opinions on streaming services today well um napster is of course a very old outmoded thing now right but um streaming today is you know, basically the way that most people listen to music. And um, for a long time, music that got played on YouTube or any number of platforms was just, uh, there was no money in it for the artist. And so it was very difficult because CD sales fell off and um, suddenly there was no income. But slowly but surely, there have been bits of progress made there. And so now you, you can actually make something of a living from streaming, not a great living unless you're happening, happen to be one of the lucky few. Right. And aesthetically, I, I think that it's, it's just a very different way of listening to music. Like when I grew up, I listened to albums and I listened to them from top to bottom. And I hoped that they hung together as a collection and that they made sense as an album. You know, they were called an album for a reason. It was, you know, it was a group of songs that were special together in a certain way. Right. It had a cohesion and an identity as a product. Whereas now we get songs one at a time. We get people listening to whatever the hit is one at a time. Um a lot of EPs. That's that's a new one for me. It's, it's yes, EPs. yes. There's a lot of EPs, and um, you know, again. But even the way EPs get listened to, they get listened to 
by people who are on streaming platforms and it'll pl play this off the EP and then something else. And unless they go out of their way to listen to it. Right. Yeah. So what is next for crash test dummies? I hear there's a you know new show. I heard you recruited one or two new members. Uh, we ha have a new show in that we have changed up our set list and I've written a new song which we will be performing. And we also have a new band member, a guy named uh, Leith Fleming Smith. He's playing the keyboards. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So as we you know, wrap this up, what is the best way for my listeners to follow the band's journey online? Well, uh, we're on social media for the most part, Instagram and Facebook and I think Twitter, that's, I think that's primarily it. We all, oh, and we also have our own website, crashdustummies.com, where you can uh, buy MP3s if you want to. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I end my interviews with my favorite question. And the question is this, if the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? <laughs> to the people of Earth. <laughs> Run for your lives. The robots are taking over and they're all going to outlive you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's AI great. is coming. <laughs> Brad, thanks for taking the time to come on the show. This has been a real honor for me. And I know well, you're extraordinarily busy, but thank you so much. Oh, not at all. Thank you for the interview. You, you did a really good, well-informed interview, and I very much enjoyed talking to you. You're welcome. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 161. I want to thank Brad for being so incredibly giving with his time. Honestly, if you had told 15-year-old me that I would be interviewing Brad Roberts of the Crash Test Dummies when I was in my 40s, I would have laughed in your face. What a great privilege to speak to him. And I also want to thank Wayne from his team for putting the two of us together. But we are not done yet. After a recent bout with the COVID-19 virus, I had questions about my dental health during my illness. And who better to answer those questions than our very own dental correspondent? So back by popular demand, please welcome to the show the legendary Teeth Talk girl herself, Whitney DeFogio. Whitney, welcome back to the Derek Duvall Show. It's been a long time. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. How is the channel going? Thank you. It's going well. YouTube is always my favorite thing to do. I love yeah. YouTube, so things are good. How's married life? Good. Thank you for remembering. Yes, it's good. We're going on two years now. Isn't that wild? It is wild. Well done. <laughs> yes. So what all have you been up to since the last time we talked? Yeah. So, wow. Just navigating life. No, I, um, you know, teeth every day, just in different capacities, uh, different things that I do with teeth. I still work clinically, of course, clinically chair side in the up, as well as my YouTube videos. I make two each week. I'm always posting content on Instagram, all that good stuff. So teeth are everywhere for me, my website, something kind of exciting that's coming soon is I'm, I'm doing, oh, I, you know, I've never really talked about it yet. So I'm excited to say it, but I'm starting this program that's, it's like a 30 day challenge type thing I'm for your oral health. Right. So mm -hmm. I have a lot of patients that my dental patients that tell me like, 
maybe they're struggling with something and they've done everything they could and they still are getting cavities or they think they're doing everything they could, but they still have gum disease or struggling with something. And that's what kind of inspired me to make this 30 day program that it's like, here's something you can do that can really boost your dental health. And it's like 30 days with me coaching you. It's kind of cool. So anyway, that's coming later this summer. So that's what I've been doing. Nice, nice. Before we get into the the meat of the conversation, the reason I brought you on, I want to ask one question that people have been writing in and asking me, but when I told them you were coming back on the show is what is the advantages of an electric toothbrush over an actual manually controlled your hand using a toothbrush? That's a love. I love that people are asking about toothbrushes. That makes me happy. So yes, electric toothbrushes are definitely, they definitely have advantages just because they do the work for you, right? So an electric toothbrush, you just have to guide it along from tooth to tooth. You don't have to do anything, but just hold it in the right spot and hit every single surface of every single tooth. That's all you have to do. With a regular toothbrush, the manual, you have to put, you have to do the gentle circles. You have to perfectly angle it 45 degrees. You have, there's a lot more work. It's easier to use an electric toothbrush correctly. And it's easier to use a regular manual toothbrush incorrectly. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's just easier to mess up with the regular one. So I think everyone could benefit from an electric. I tried one of those toothbrushes that you, you push a button on it now and it has a little vibrator on it. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? The I, hybrid. I did, the hybrid. I did not like it. Okay. I like it, that you bring that up. So yeah, hybrids are interesting. I, yeah. you know, there's so many, especially in the dental world with dentists and dental hygienists, there's so much controversy. <laughs> That's our <laughs> toothbrush controversy, whether or not the hybrids are a good idea. The thing about the hybrid is it does not do the work for you. You still mm-hmm. have to treat it as a regular toothbrush and do all your motions. It just gives you a little extra something if you want to feel it, but it's not doing the work for you. So I never want anyone to get confused and just hold the hybrid because it's vibrating in your hand more than it is in your mouth. Those right. I don't love them, but some people like them. And if you like them, just make sure you're using them right. Right. Do you have a particular brand of manual toothbrush over the other? I am patient preference. I really am. Like what I use doesn't mean someone else is going to love it. Right. Everyone has an dentistry is such an individual thing. Right. I really, I genuinely mean it when I say that is that some people prefer when it spins, the circle that spins. Some people prefer where it looks like a regular toothbrush and it vibrates. Some people prefer a little bit of both. It just depends. You're going to use the toothbrush that you like. So mm. might as well use something that you personally like because you'll use it more. I say the same thing with toothpaste. Everyone's always like, what's the best toothpaste? And I'm like, the one that you like the taste of it because you're going to use it. You know, from when I was a kid now, I mean, toothpaste has come miles and miles away from when I was a kid in the 80s. Now we have, you know, whitening. Now we've got plaque, you know, reducing. We've got enamel strengthening and what have you. Is there a particular kind of toothpaste that you think that for like age groups, people is more appropriate? Is there one for you know, for different demographics that is more appropriate for what do you, what is, what is your opinion on that? Mm-hmm, totally. According to the ADA, the American dental, dental association, it's always a tongue twister. I can never American dental association. Everyone, no matter what your age should be using a fluoride toothpaste. Fluoride is proven to prevent cavities, to strengthen your enamel, to make your teeth healthier. So the, the, where it comes with ages is how much you put, how much toothpaste you put on your toothbrush so they say three and up ages three and up you use a a little pea size amount a little pea like you know the pea that you eat and then ages three and below you use a little little or below three right there's always like a cutoff on three but um a little rice sized smear so Mm. like 
it's just a very small amount. Just get a little bit of that fluoride toothpaste. So that's what I'm all about. Fluoride, no matter what your age is. I'm all about the ADA approved. If it has the ADA seal of acceptance on it, you know it's been proven for safety and efficacy. You know it works and you know it's safe. So that's what I'm all about. You must really love that scene in Home Alone where Macaulay Culkin goes to the counter and is like, is this toothbrush approved by the American Dental Association? My okay, when my husband listens to this, that's so funny. I've never fully seen that the first one all the way through the first home alone. So now this is like you telling me that he said, and I definitely need to watch that this holiday season. I've seen Home Alone three, and he's always like, Why is that the one you've watched? And I'm like, Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, I like that one though, but that's so funny. So he says that, that's so cute. Yeah, he's home, obviously, the whole premise of the movie, he's home alone, yeah, yeah, and he wants to be an adult, so he goes to the to go to the little convenience store, he picks up a a toothbrush and he goes up to the counter and he goes excuse me is this t- toothbrush approved by the american dental association and this little old lady's like well i don't know and she goes well can you check for me and he goes excuse me i have a question about a toothbrush and he comes <laughs> over and she's like is this toothbrush approved by the american dental? and he's like i don't know <laughs> it's a whole bit so that's hilarious i'm definitely going to check that yeah, out. yeah <laughs> it's a, it's a cute little scene I feel so silly that i've never seen that all the way through all right all right so the reason i brought you on is you know with, without getting into too much detail i just got over my first ever bout with the covid19 virus i had oh, to no. wait till the end of the pandemic to finally get it if there's an irony in there i don't know what it is but there is some in there yeah one of the things i rarely ever get sick Okay. So when the toothbrush is done for me, I throw it away. Mm-hmm. But when I reached out to you, I reached out to you via Instagram, and I had a curious question mm-hmm. is, should you throw your toothbrush away when you've got COVID? And you answered a great response to that question. I was, that's the reason I brought you on. Mm-hmm. So for my listeners who may not know, if they've gotten COVID or just sick in general, what should they do with their toothbrush? Yes, whenever you're sick. You should, general rule of thumb is you should get rid of that toothbrush after you're sick. You should, there's no, it's very, very difficult to try and remove all those germs from all those little bristles. Like a lot of people ask me, can I soak it in vinegar? Can I soak it in this? Can I, it's so much easier just get a new toothbrush. And if you're using an electric toothbrush, make sure you get a new head for the tooth. The little heads pop off, get a new head. Every time you're sick, new toothbrush, every time and, or and or whichever comes first every three months you should actually replace your toothbrush Mm -hmm. okay every three months or when you're sick okay Uh what about what about when you've actually got the COVID-19 virus what about mouthwash you mouthwash every day I mean well obviously you should but should you take extra precautions you know what it can't hurt to add in a mouthwash I don't think it's something you need to do but anything to reduce the bacteria or any kind of microbial level since it's a virus but any kind of microbes in your mouth will be reduced but they're not going to totally go away since it's still in your throat and you're you know everywhere else but I think a, a reduction of microbes is always a good idea but you never want to overuse mouthwash right antiseptics right. Peroc- never switch with hydrogen peroxide every single day because too too much of a good thing is a bad thing right not only are you killing off the bad bacteria or the bad microbes, but you're also killing off the good microbes, which can mess everything up too. So never overdo that stuff. All right. So before we let you go, the same three people wanted to ask you the same question that I've asked you now, the last two times you've been on your show, how are your teeth? I knew it. And it was either that. <laughs> My teeth, thank you. My teeth are doing well. I'm pretty good right now. No complaints. I... And happy and healthy in the dental world. 
Well, if you get a cavity, do you, what what do you do? Do you do you like have a moment where you're like, I can't believe this is happening to me. I I'm the ultimate like dental hygienist. What what is wrong with me? What what do you do when you get a cavity? I haven't had one in a while. However, I think I'm always when I you know I go to the dentist like everyone else, and I'm always like, if there's a cavity in there, we're gonna we're gonna film it. We're gonna film doing the filling. Like I'm I'm always <laughs> like, it's gonna be fine because I'll get a I'll get footage out of it, right? I'll get a video. <laughs> Nice. If needed. So I won't be as sad because of the video. But nice. so far, so good. Knock on wood. All right. Whitney, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Honestly, you're you're one of my favorite guests and a, a regular spot with you is always a pleasure. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you. This is one of my favorite podcasts. So I appreciate it. And wow. I'm so happy that you invited me back. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Whitney, for taking the time to come on the show. You can find Whitney on YouTube at Teeth Talk or on Instagram at Teeth Talk Girl, and she will be back again on the show in the coming months. Mark my words. Okay, tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for the episode to drop, and I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode, especially this one? I truly hope you have, so please go hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, please drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there with everything with our logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves, so please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that and you will be taken to our store on Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, what are you planning to do to manage your mental health this week? I plan on doing more walking this week, especially in the evening when I can bring one of my dogs with me. But everyone needs a hobby, something to get them out of their head and to give them a sense of pleasure. Think about what I just said and apply it. Nostar, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.